Every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, a ministry of 1-8 Catalyst, where we are pursuing the completion of the Great Commission worldwide. To learn more about our work or to listen to previous episodes, please visit our website at 1-8, spelled out in word form, catalyst.org. That's 1-8-catalyst.org. Thanks for joining us. Falkenstein. Uh, here with you, actually, together with the co-host, my co-host, Ken Watmore. And Ken, uh, we've done a several interview episodes while you've been out and about, and you've had some family stuff going on, and yeah. the flu, I heard, something about the flu as well. And uh, But it's great to finally have you back. Thanks so much. It's nice to be back, and you've kind of done up the place a little bit. I like that. Yeah. So um, Just for me, thanks so much. That's right. That. Yeah, for those listening, we... Uh, <laughs> Built, I built a different podcast table in our little media room, and uh, just so that we could, because we're looking to have more than two people on the the podcast at once, and so, but we needed kind of the space. We had a real small table for that, and so, um, but Ken, you just said you're kind of feeling better and back yeah. in the swing of things. Uh, yeah, getting back in the swing of things, busy, 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 and that's good. I think that's a, a healthy distraction to some things, and then uh, it also kind of gets me energized to do more. So yeah, that's good. That's great. That's great. Well, good to have you back. And yeah, so Ken, uh, you know, you and I have been talking a bit about uh, these two, these next two episodes we want to do for some time. And so I'm glad we can, uh, we can get a chance to talk about them, you know, with our ministry, 1-8 Catalyst, we've been through this big transition, which we've talked about on the podcast uh, towards Bible translation. And just recently, actually probably October of 2017, we made kind of a mini shift within Bible translation where the folks at Wycliffe Associates had got in touch with us and told us a bit about their Bible translation method that was just developed in 2014 called the MAST translation method. And uh, boy, from the time that we learned about it, we have just been super excited here at 1-8 Catalyst, mainly because of the the speed issue that uh, you know that they're that they're translating Bibles in, but then there's also kind of the just kind of how it works. And so in this episode, we want to just talk a little bit about the mass translation method. And I remember when we first started talking about this, you actually saw that video I had forwarded to you about the method, and it sounds neat, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's great, and I do think. Uh... Uh, maybe as a reference point, you know, to have that video link up there because people have yeah. questions. I hopefully will answer those questions. You'll answer those questions during this podcast. But it's uh, it's interesting, and it's the video is well done, right? So it's always better to watch a well done video than a crappy one. Yeah, and, uh, that's it's, right. It's well done, and uh, it talks about the, the kind of the philosophy behind this and the way that they're going to do it. And I think the the thing that's astonishing is how quickly they can translate and put a Bible out there. Right? That's Mm -hmm. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. And so, obviously, for our heart towards Bible translation, boy, once we began looking at it, we we got excited because, you know, rather than doing a translation in years, 
they're talking about months. And so, of course, if you have a heart toward getting the Bible to people, uh, what we may call the Bibleist people yet left in the world. So, uh, Ken, let me just kind of go through kind of the basics here and what we're talking about. So the, the translation method uh, that we're now using is called the MAST method, and MAST is an acronym that stands for Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation. And so the kind of, the, kind of some of the things that we were real excited about was that it, you know, it's available to empower the global church to draft their Bible in months rather than years. The pilot program, as I mentioned, took place in 2014. Since that time, God's opened some doors to expand its influence. The last I looked, there were something like 215 Bible translations being, you know, translated using this MAST uh, method. So the other thing that we really liked about it is it relies heavily on the local church. And so rather than you know, back in the day, it was the kind of the, the way that we would, the way the Western church would do this is send Joe and Jane missionary from wherever, Michigan or somewhere, right, mm-hmm. to go into a place, <clears throat> learn the language, and then begin doing the translation. And in this case, they're actually just using local language speakers. And so, for example, when we, um, so we've started our first mast translation in China. And so in that process, we actually, I got to see in real life kind of how it works and whatnot. And so the things that we were looking for on our Bible translation team were people obviously who were Christians, people who knew that local language. So we're talking about the Tiang people group, a people group of about 300,000 people. So people that could speak Tiang, Chang actually has a, a dedicated language of its own. It actually is kind of based on a, it's actually a from the Tibetan family of languages. So it actually, it's interesting to hear it. You know, as a Chinese language speaker, it sounds really different. It's like, wow, that's not even, you know, I couldn't even pretend to know what they're saying. And so, uh, and then they needed to know Mandarin Chinese. And so those are really the three things. So we found, we have two projects within the Chang, one in kind of the Northern areas where they live. So we've just called it Northern Chang. And then another one called the Southern Chang dialect. And so, boy, to be able to train those people for two weeks and then to be able to go just knowing that, they're, that they've kind of got the system down, right? We didn't have to stay. I mean, this is really their local project. Right. Uh, they're really taking ownership. And really what they needed initially were kind of the tools to be able to, you know, to do the translation. So, Ken, as you think about that just versus the kind of the old way, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Definitely. Well, and I know that even going, you know, before 1-8 Catalyst, when it was trying to resource, your goal was to try and empower and provide support for the people there to to complete the projects, and, mm, you know, give right. them all the structure that they needed and support the tools that they needed and stuff. So I like that you guys felt like you could go there, um, be a part of it, help initiate, and then trust that it's in hands of people that... Uh, that feel like it's their mission. They have an ownership yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. So, of course, part of that is that you need to re- recruit um, reliable people, right, to be able to be on your translation teams. But, you know, once you have that, you know, particularly if there's a, you know, we're always looking for a local church to provide accountability, Yeah. Um, you know, so that you've got some people who are who are looking in on the translation team and making sure that they're doing what they're doing. So probably the other main thing, Ken, that we really liked was that once you begin training the local translation teams to do the work, you can begin to do 
translation of multiple books of the Bible at the same time. So a lot of the stories, actually the book that I had just given you, written by the Wycliffe Associates uh, president, uh, tells stories of these translation teams that are 60 and 70 people for one people group. And so what they can do is once they learn the how it works, they can take 10 of those people and go, okay, you guys do the book of Mark. And then they take these 10 and go, Let you do the book of Luke, mm-hmm. right? So simultaneously, they're doing multiple books, which yeah. then all of a sudden you go, oh, that's why. It happens quick. Yeah, yeah that's why it's yeah. much faster. Uh, you're not going, you know, one after the other. So, and so, Ken, let me just real quickly kind of go through the steps of how the uh, the mass translation works, and I can kind of add some other. Since I've now seen it and I'm being trained on how it works, I can add some other interesting stories kind of along the way. But there are, you know, eight steps to the mass um, Bible translation method, and so. The, you know, really the first step as you're training the local um, translation teams how to do the work, the first step is just called consume. So each individual should spend time reading their Bible. So you want people that are kind of familiar with the Bible, right? Then you're, um, you're verbalizing the texts in the, in the, in fol- in the following w- ways. So number one, generally tell each other um, what you've just read. Uh, what are some important important things that you've read? What are some of the main events? What are some of the key words in the passage? And so, so for example, in our project, uh, we started them off with the book of uh, sorry, the book of uh, Mark. I'm particularly excited about getting Luke done because then that means there's some other things we can do. But we started with Mark, and so they literally just kind of went initially verse by verse, and they really start with an audio. Bible translation is how the mast process works. So they had these little tablets, uh, Samsung tablets, and Wycliffe Associates has actually uh, developed some software. And so on the, uh, with the software, they just... So our friends had the Mandarin Chinese Bible open. They would read Mark 1, verse 1, and then close the Bible, and then just as they could recall it. So the software actually is... It's, an, it's really just an audio recorder that you can record verse by verse. And so then as they're recording verse by verse, then it's the software, uh, the app on the, the tablet is, is capturing that. And then once you get through the whole chapter, you go through again and you listen to it with your Bible open this time. And then you can actually go, oh, actually, now that I see it again, we need to change this. And changes are you know easily made. And so then you're going this next step, which we call chunking, which is actually, then you kind of go to full paragraphs on, you know, uh, the translation. And then they're doing some self-checking, you know, where they're, um, they're checking within, so let's say you've got 10 people doing the book of Mark. Amongst the 10 of them, they're kind of going, they're listening to it again. Okay, yeah, that's good. Actually, in our language, we wouldn't quite say that that way. So then they're kind of going through it that way. Mm. And then there's a peer check. So let's say you have someone doing the book of Luke, a group, and then another group doing the book of Mark. They may switch tablets, and then they're checking uh, each other's work. And so then you've got some people who weren't involved with that translation of that book who are listening to it and giving it a check. And then there's some other steps where you're actually getting you know, the pastors in the local area involved. And this is important, of course, with, you know, key theological terms, 
You want to make sure that, you know, there could be some examples where you go, well, actually, yeah, we might say that, but the biblical real definition of that, uh, hopefully you've got some people who have some theological training, go, oh, that's not quite what that Bible word actually means, right? right. So then you get some of those checking uh, involved. And so that's one of these steps that we they call the keyword uh, check. And so they're saying, okay, is the proper meaning conveyed? You know, so it's really been, it's really fun to to be able to see how that all works. And before long, then, you know, you're really getting some work done as it relates to the uh, the translation. And so as they go along, if there's a question regarding the accuracy of the verse, you know, we're engaging the translators in discussion about what may or may not be needed. You know, they, they might use some different language than they, than they thought they needed. And so that's where, you know, some of the translation consultants, which we're, we're, we're training to become ourselves, which by the way, kind of as a side note, I'm just particularly excited about working with Wycliffe Associates because they've been so great about, I mean, their heart for us as a ministry is that we would actually become an independent Bible translation organization of our own hmm. so that we wouldn't have to always depend on them. Yeah. And so so as you're just kind of hearing this, what is your what are your what's your general take about that? Well actually so as I'm hearing it, I'm trying to envision you know, these groups of people over a couple week period going through, uh, my, my take on it is that it sounds fascinating, right? That mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like work. Like I think a lot of times we don't think about something like this as being, wor- I mean, we think about going and uh, helping set up a, the microeconomic system, a little farm, a little type thing, or, or feeding people or giving people medicine and things like that. All, all amazing things. I don't, I don't think people would maybe at first thought think, oh, I'm going over there to be a Bible translator, that that's like work. But I, I mean, I'm envisioning in my head, and correct me if, if it's mm-hmm. not that way, that these are people that are, are grinding for a couple of weeks. I mean, a lot of hours of the day and yes, um, right. a lot of non-break time where you're really trying to focus on getting a, a job done. And and it's a big job. I mean, it, how, how much more important does it get, right? That's right. Translating God's word that's properly. Right. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. I, I think I'm envisioning this uh, this kind of a rigorous schedule, um, but with really devoted, high quality people uh, working together to, to try and accomplish this. So in my head, I, as you're talking, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to picture it. And I wonder, right, you mentioned this about... Uh, words, and I don't think you said maybe context, but that's what we talk about all the time, right? Words in context. Like, yes. we may have one word that meant one thing the way it was used in our translation, uh, you know, say the New American Standard Version, right? Like Our translation might have one word that means one thing in one place, yet that same word might be used in other places, uh, and it, it does have different meaning based on the context. And I, I think those must be hard issues to tackle in a Probably not always an advanced uh, mother language, right? They, they might not have as deep of a yes contextual difference. R- right, that's right. And so, actually, there's a couple of points there. One being, and you've hit, you've really hit on it, Ken. That as we get towards the end of being able to say that a book of the Bible is finished, that's really actually what takes a lot of time are these final words, and in some cases. In fact, we found this with this Chang language that um, in at least two cases in doing the book of Mark, that they, in their language, they didn't have a word 
mm. for this Chinese word that was in the Bible. Okay. So then it was, okay, what do we do about that, right? <laughs> and so yeah. in one case, they just took the Chinese word, knowing that most of the readers of this Bible also know Chinese. Now, they may not know it as well as they know their, their local language. Right. But essentially now they're just creating a word for this in their own language, and they've just borrowed from the Chinese. In the other case, I believe they, they took two words that were similar and were able to fashion a new word. So, mm. so that's the other interesting thing about Bible translation is that you're literally kind of creating new words. So then I yeah. got thinking about as the public began to read this, let's say we get a New Testament done and we get this published and we get it out to people, I can see that there would be some training that will need to take place to, to, to be able to tell them, Yeah. well, we chose this word because this and this, and it's really no different than what we hear in our own churches, right? That right. our pastors are always kind of about, well, in the Greek, the word really means you know such and such, yeah. because we don't have an exact English word that means that either. Right, yeah. so so it's very, it's going to be a very similar thing as the people begin preaching in this with this Bible and whatnot. So yeah. very fascinating whole process for sure. Yeah, and you could see where eventually maybe there's a you know we we have so many gosh here we're blessed with so many different study Bibles and tools right like mm-hmm. uh, eventually there'd be maybe an asterisk by it you know where you can look down in the notes in a study oh, right. Bible that says here's here's what we did yeah that's you know, right here's, here's what this here's what the translators yeah. meant or here's what we did yeah so which again is not an uncommon thing even in our I mean almost the simplest English Bible that you can pick up will still have little footnotes from time to time right and yep. so uh, that's also very common so so that's part of it is that, you know, whenever you're trans, I mean, you always hear people say that if you really want to have a completely accurate Bible, you have to learn Greek and Hebrew, right? Because those are the languages that it was originally written in. Yeah. So so we're um, extremely excited. You know, Ken, as an organization, we've got this these two projects going. We've got another three that we're, we're looking into. So just as we did with the Chiang people, you know, there's a process where we actually assess their need for a, a Bible translation. You know, we get a sense from the local people what their interest is in having a, a Bible, which, by the way, can, you know, you just said something about, I just triggered, so I was thinking about what you said about it being real work. Yeah. On one hand, it definitely is. So as we have been involved now, those people, it was a full day, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. kind of day, right, as they mm-hmm. were going through the training and beginning to do the translation. On the other hand, I mean, I think that's one thing I like about it being driven by the local church. Yeah, They want a Bible in their language. Yeah, yeah it's work, but it's not something they're not willing to do. Or, yeah, there's joy. I mean, there's joy. Oh, and they're just thinking, oh my gosh. And so now, you know, on my phone, I've got, um, in fact, I'll put the link you know, in this uh, podcast episode, but now we're getting portions of the book of Mark in this language, and like, mm-hmm. an, you know, we're getting audio files. And seeing them begin to hear the Bible in their own language has been extremely exciting as well. I can't you know? even imagine. Yeah. For the first time. And so yeah. like the Chiang people, for example, I mean, they have literally a th- at least a 3,000 year continuous history. And they've never had a portion of the Bible translated in their language until now. Wow. 
And so they were just very thrilled, you know, and so, and quite humbling for us, right, to be involved in something like that. And mm-hmm. Lord, what a privilege that you'd choose to use us. Yeah. After 3,000 years, we'd come along <laughs> and we'd be the ones, you know, so very humbling too. So, so Ken, one last thing about the mass translation that I feel like I really have to mention, and something that I'll still continue to, to learn about. So for you and the listeners, Ken, I'll commit to... You know, we'll come back and uh, maybe give a, an update. So later in February, I go to Orlando for a couple weeks to begin my own training uh, mm-hmm. towards us becoming an independent Bible translation um, organization. And one of the things that I want to that I want to address is, you know, if you were to do a, a if you were to do a Google search for this mass translation method, tons of great stuff. There are some some people who have sort of questioned this sort of speed versus accuracy question, and there is at least a debate. So amongst sure. sort of what you may call um, traditional Bible translation organizations, they kind of go, there is no way you can do it that fast and still you know, maintain the accuracy, which as a Bible student myself, I kind of go, yeah, we wouldn't want to be involved in something that didn't have the yeah, accuracy Yeah, I think that's there. a debate that has to happen, right? When yeah. This, with this kind of thing, for oh, sure. I mean, yeah. it's just so revolutionary, I think, is yeah. part of it. Like, our previous partners were talking about, you know, seven to ten years uh, to complete a Bible translation, mm. and this idea that in 40 weeks we can have a functional New Testament. For those people that are the seven to nine years people, they'd kind of go, no, we feel like we've kind of got it down yeah. the best. So, you know, Bible translation generally kind of balances generally on this tension of, you know, between speed and accuracy. And so I think, boy, you talk to the Wycliffe Associates people and they said that they they really feel like uh, their translations are just as accurate as the ones that take a lot longer. Really one of the main questions is that, again, I mean, when you've got this speed, you're you're obviously you're leaving out stuff that traditional bible translator bible translators do right mm-hmm. and one of those things is that a an end, a uh, traditional bible translation organizations will have a a an independent bible translation consultant or checker who will come and check now and that could be a a year process, yeah, right? For sure. And so, if you're taking that out, they've taken that out. That's one of the main things that a traditional Bible translation organization would say. Without that checking, now the Wycliffe Associates people will say that uh, they do checking, and it's just in a different way. You know, they mm-hmm. still check for accuracy; they're just checking in a different way. So, so there's a tension there. So, I, I just felt like, real quickly, I just needed to mention that because just just so listeners would know that that we're, we've got our eyes wide open on this thing, yeah. and we're going to continue to ask questions. Everything that we've seen so far says, yeah, their accuracy's there, and. I think, you know, this could be a much longer story, but I guess part of it for me is since I've always kind of worked outside of the traditional modes of ministry anyway, meaning we've worked openly in China, we've not done what most people do in terms of, you know, the code language and all this clandestine stuff, we've just not seen a need. The Wycliffe Associates MAST method kind of fits with who we are anyway, so we're willing to take some of those chances, but... I'm certainly wanting to really what we've committed to at this point is these two translations are the two that we're using to check to see if this is, I mean, it's kind of our test right? So for the future. So 
Anyway, I just wanted to mention that real quick. So, uh, Ken, as we end this episode, any last thoughts from you? Um, no, just on what you just said, I think, you know, it just makes me think like you, probably you do and, and listeners are thinking is it seems like whoever the whoever does whoever that consultant is that normally would do the checking for other organizations it almost seems like in as as this grows uh, and and as it develops it seems like you could have a consultant with each group right like um, that could be yeah. checking as they go um, right it's it's to add that certainly seems mm-hmm. that um, checking as you go would expedite things and keep a, a person there that that would would qualify as that consultant right that yeah, just, right it's, it, it, that doesn't seem like such a far stretch for me I guess is, yeah, is that, what I'm saying mm-hmm. um, but certainly you know you want to make sure that uh, the accuracy maintains yeah through that's the process. right yeah that's right so I would say that same thing with kind of final thoughts Ken is that you know obviously we want to you know we want to make sure the accuracy is there yeah <clears throat> just recently, and I don't know if you've seen this movie, but there is a movie about the founders of McDonald's, right? It's just called, I think it, I think the movie is just called The Founder. Huh. And so just kind of how they developed it. And so this McDonald's brothers actually developed this whole new system. So again, we could get into a long thing, but it was so kind of revolutionary that when Ray Kroc, who eventually, yeah. you know, bought the business from them, saw it for the first time, he was kind of bewildered because apparently... In those days, those um, burger places, you'd have, you know, plates and it's more of a sit-down kind of place. Right. There wasn't, quote-unquote, fast food. Right. So they were the very first ones. Yeah. And so I do think this mass method may be that same kind of thing. Right. It's just so revolutionary that those that have been doing it the, 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 these other ways, you know, <laughs> right. uh, it's hard for them to wrap their minds around it, right? So I kind of go, yeah, as long as we can tell the accuracy is there. We do have 1,300 languages that are still waiting, and why would we make them wait any longer than they sure. need to wait, right? Sure. So yep. anyway, so, well, Ken, thanks for the discussion. Uh, thank you all for joining us uh, for this latest episode. We're so thankful that you're uh, you're joining us. Please, um, if, you, if you enjoy it, share the episode with others. We'd love to dialogue with you as well. I know, Ken, you're on Twitter, at Ken Whatmore, and... I'm at uh, Missions Mike on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you. You know, we post these episodes on the 18 Catalyst website. If you're listening from there, uh, great. Uh, go check out the rest of the uh, uh, go check out the rest of the website. If you're not, you can go to 18catalyst.org and find out more about our ministry. Uh, we've just got some new resources teaching people how to share the gospel. They're using the bridge illustration, so check out that page again: 18catalyst.org forward slash resources. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this, the 75th episode of the Made for Missions podcast. Be sure to join us for episode 76 next week, where we are going to talk a little bit about North Korea. Really, it's an episode just to educate y'all on what's happening there and call folks to pray for that dear country who so desperately needs Jesus. So join us next week. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us, and we will look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks all.